Father, I praise you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is in me, Lord, we, we praise you for who you are and what you're doing and what you will accomplish by your grace, your power, for your glory and our good. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for how you're stirring people to step into the mission of Jesus in this community and among the nations. Lord, I pray for all the missionaries that are right here in this room and those who are watching us online, missionary disciples who are called to live in this community on mission for Jesus. We pray for our ones. God, you give us opportunity this week to share the gospel and love of Jesus with them. And Lord, I thank you for those that you're stirring to leave this community. Lord, to go to places that are hard and far away for the glory of Jesus because Jesus is worth it. Give them wisdom. Give them next steps. Help them, Lord, and help us to love them and support them well. And God, we pray not only for ourselves as a church, we pray for the local churches of Jesus. We want them to win. We want them to be healthy. We want them to experience your power. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Josh Smith and True Life Church in Melbourne. Thank you for his friendship, God. Thank you for who he is and his story of grace. And I pray he would be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim the one and only word of Jesus Christ. May he know and love and live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And may your people go forward for your glory and their good from that place. So we ask it all in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. This morning marks the halfway point in our study of the book of Daniel. And for those of you who are visiting with us or not familiar with the book of Daniel, Daniel was a Jewish young person who was taken into captivity from his hometown of Jerusalem into the Babylonian Empire's capital city about 600 years before Jesus Christ was born. The great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, invaded Jerusalem, took Uh, Daniel and his peers to be exiles or captives in Babylon. And what you find is that from the moment that he arrives in Babylon, Daniel is under constant pressure to adopt the pagan godless culture of Babylon and turn his back on the one true God. But what we also find is that over and over again, Daniel is faithful to his God, no matter what. Even more, we find that God is faithful to Daniel. We find God pouring out blessing over and over again, even to the point that while Daniel is a foreigner in this nation, he gets promoted by God's favor to one of the highest positions of authority in the Babylonian kingdom. But then last chapter, chapter 5, we witnessed the fall of the Babylonian empire. Babylon has fallen. The king, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, a man named Belshazzar, was killed and the government was overthrown by the Medo-Persian empire and their king, King Darius. So here we are in chapter six. There's a new king in town. His name is Darius. I actually think the proper pronunciation of that is Darius, but that's not, it really is, but that's not how I learned it on VeggieTales. And so we're going Darius kids. And in our text, Darius is setting up his new government in the newly conquered land. And here's what that means. It means Daniel is starting all over again at almost 90 years old. And here's what we find out. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Once again, 
Daniel's going to get promoted to the highest position of government authority under the king. Once again, he's going to be pressured to turn his back on his God. Once again, he's going to nearly lose his life. Once again, he's going to remain faithful to his God. And once again, God will remain faithful to him. As a matter of fact, that is so embedded in this text It's our big idea for this morning. So let's start with the big idea, the point of Daniel 6. Then we'll walk through this chapter. And I want to show you why I say this is the big idea. The big idea for today is this. God is always faithful to his people. And he blesses those who are faithful to him. God is always faithful to his people. And he blesses those who are faithful to him. To him. Now, let me show you from this text, and we've got a lot of verses to cover this morning, so I'll try to make my way pretty quickly and close with a few points of application. But why do I say that's the big idea for this text? Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius, Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Those are higher government officials, kind of middle managers of sorts, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Stop right there. I want you to notice just in the first three verses that set up the rest of the chapter, you actually find our big idea. First, you see God being faithful to Daniel here. Just think about what's happened since the last part of chapter 5. Darius invaded Babylon, killed the Babylonian king, and destroyed his entire government and kingdom. And you would think that would spell bad news for the guy who was basically vice president to the outgoing king. But not only does God spare Daniel's life, he actually moves King Darius for some reason to place Daniel as one of the three highest positions over the entire Medo-Persian empire. Why? Because God is being faithful to his people, to this person, Daniel. You also see Daniel being faithful to God. Verse 3 says, an excellent spirit was found to be in him. That word excellent means exceptional or surpassing. Daniel was such a faithful man that his life surpassed the lives of the godless people around him, and God blessed him for it. Verse 3 ends with the king planning to promote Daniel once again to the highest position over all of the kingdom. So just in those three verses, setting the tone for the entire text, you find our big idea for the chapter. God's always faithful to his people, no matter what the political climate is, no matter what the cultural transitions are. He's always faithful to his people. He blesses those who are faithful to him. Now let's pick up in verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, notice how these verses highlight, once again, how faithfully Daniel lived. When the most well-connected, most powerful people in the entire nation try to dig up dirt on this guy, they come up with nada, right? They come up empty. The only way they could possibly trap him was to use his devotion to God 
against him, which then becomes their plan. Look at verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish an injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So this is the scene that happens in my house when my children are trying to convince me to go out to eat for dinner. Oh, dad, we've all agreed. You look good today. (laughs) You're a great dad. You find them buttering the king up and trying to force and pressure him. Everybody's agreed this is the best thing. But here's what they really do. They actually appeal to the king's pride. Well, what they say is, let's get a new law, king. Let's get a new law that shows just how important you are. No one in the kingdom will be allowed for 30 days to ask anything from any god or man. You see what they're doing there? They're saying, king... You are the most important man in the entire universe, and it's time that everybody knows it. So no one can ask or petition a God or a man except for you because everyone should know that no one can do anything without a man like you in their life. And if you don't know this, government leaders love to think of themselves as little G-gods, and so he gets in on the ground floor. He puts this into place and effectively makes himself the God of the universe and no one can get anything done without him, signs the law into the effect. And of course, the question becomes, what's Daniel going to do? And by now, you should know what Daniel's going to do. Look at verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, I love this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows The windows in his upper chamber opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. I love that. There's a sermon all by itself right there. He gave thanks. When persecution came, when the world was turning in a way he would never have chosen, he gave thanks. You know why? Because God's still good and he has reason to give thanks as he had done previously. Don't you love that? Don't you love verse 10? I love it. Some guy comes up to Daniel. Hey, Daniel, did you, did you hear about the new law? Nobody can, nobody can ask for anything. They can't even pray to any God except the king or they're going to be put to death. Daniel, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray about it. <laughs> I'm going to pray about it. He's almost 90 years old. He, he's been through this before. This isn't his first rodeo. He climbs the stairs to his home, which, which is a, an applaudable feat for a 90-year-old man in and of itself. But he climbs up those stairs to the second story, opens up the windows. And I don't think this is just because he's unashamed. I think because in his heart he says, I want nothing between me and my God. He gets on his knees and he prays three times a day, just like he'd prayed every day before. Not because he wants to be defiant to his king, but because he knows he's dependent on his God. 
Look at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, God, that's not even from around here, king, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king. And said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Okay, so you see this here. Daniel is in the lion's den, but what, what we find really is that Darius is the one taking center stage in this section. Darius had signed a law on the premise that he was the most powerful man in the entire universe. No one could get anything done without his say-so, right? But do you notice something about how this is presenting Darius in this section? Do you notice how powerless he is? He has tried all day to save Daniel's life, but he doesn't have the power to do it. He's looked for every loophole, every way that he as the most powerful man in the entire world could possibly find. And he cannot do anything to save Daniel. By the end of the day, the king discovers he's nothing more than a pawn. Did you notice what he finally had to do? When he throws Daniel into the lion's den, he has to, and this is... This is called irony, kids. Learn a new word. It's a good one. This is called biblical irony. The king who thinks he's the most powerful man in the universe, so much so that he'll sign a law in effect that depends on him being the most powerful man in the universe, throws Daniel into the lion's den, and he has to pray, may God deliver you, Daniel. And then he spends the night, it says, fasting for Daniel. It's implied that he spends the night in prayer, or at least with hope that the real God, the truly most powerful being to live, will come through for Daniel. He knows what's going to happen. He knows it's going to require a miracle. The Persians designed these lion's pits to torture their enemy. I spent a little too much time this week looking at ancient structures about these lion's pits. And I'm not going to Pass it on to you. It'd be hard to eat lunch after I gave you this description. But the Medo-Persian Empire were experts at torturing people. So they built these pits. They were purpose-built. And they had lion keepers who kept these lions right at the place of hunger that they needed to be, that they wouldn't starve to death, and they would have enough energy to do their job, but hungry enough that they would eat anything or anyone that was thrown into the lion's pit. So Darius knows. 
Because no doubt, he'd witnessed the sport many times before that Daniel didn't stand a chance. He needed a miracle. So Darius spends the night fasting, desperately hoping, praying that the real living God would do something the king couldn't do. Like Nebuchadnezzar earlier in the book, and I won't make this a point of the sermon, we preached this chapters ago, God is humbling a pagan king. You know why? Because God will humble every pagan king. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Once again, he's exposing the plain truth that God is God alone. Only he has the power to save. Now, pick up the story, verse 19. The night is over, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. That's the part they don't show on Veggie Tales. So the first thing in the morning, the king runs to the lion's den. He cries out, Daniel, has the living God saved you? And the voice of an old man answers back, Oh, king, live forever. It's a customary phrase that was used to honor the king, kind of like saying, long live the king. What you find is Daniel continuously living right before the Lord by showing respect to the governing authorities that were over his lives, even the ones who thrown him into lion's den. But he glorifies God even more than he honors the king. And that's a lesson for us here. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. He says, Long live the king, but you need to know my God has come through in a way you couldn't do. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. God turned the ravenous lions into harmless house cats. Even though as a dog guy, I'm not sure any house cats are actually harmless. Every house cat I've ever known looks at me like it is constantly planning its overthrow of my life. I don't know if that's just me, but I don't trust him. Sorry, Amy. That's how I feel at the Fuller's house. But anyhow... Notice exactly what Daniel says, though. Why did God bless him? Verse 22 says, because I was found blameless before him. It's our big idea, right? Daniel was faithful to God, so God blessed Daniel in the lion's den. Because God blesses those who are faithful to him. God is always faithful to his people, and he blesses those who are faithful to him. That's over and over and over again what we see in this chapter. And the king rejoices for a moment, then he turns his attention to the conspirators. He has them thrown in to that pit. And that's just to show that these lions were real lions, and they really were man-eaters. Some liberal theologians, so-called... Uh, commentators who write books to tell you that the Bible isn't actually true have all these theories as to why Daniel survived the lion's den. Some think that he hid under a stack of hay. Some people think he found a corner in the cave and the lions couldn't find him. This passage right here is showing liberal theologians that the reason why Daniel's life was spared wasn't because he was a 90-year-old man who was good at hide-and-seek. 
It's because God is God. And he's strong and mighty and he's faithful to people when they're old and young and in every day in between. And go on, let's finish this chapter. Verse 25 says this. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, once again, God uses Daniel to teach the most powerful man in the world the truth of who God is. He's a rescuer. He's a deliverer. He is God alone. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, God uses these events because It's not just that the king is a pawn to the conspirators. It's that all of these people are pawns to the king of the universe who is working in ways no one can see and no one could ever write. He's using this whole scenario so that the whole world could know through the mouth of a pagan king that God is God alone. And only he can save and only he can rescue. And I know we've preached that sermon several times before, but it bears repeating. God is at work in all of the details, big and small, to make his glory known and his grace and gospel spread throughout all the earth. And the story ends then by saying Daniel prospered. He was blessed during the reign of Darius. So there you go. Story of Daniel and the lion's den. And the point that we saw all the way through is the big idea for today. God is always faithful to his people and he blesses those who are faithful to him. And church, I know that might sound simple, but it is profound and life-changing. I pray That as many of you enter this place and many of you are watching over the internet with hearts that are heavy, with hearts that are trembling in fear, with hearts that feel paralyzed by the world around you or the events of your own life, I pray that you will hear something in this, the truth about who God is that would steady your hearts in these unstable times. Here's what you need to know, friend. No matter what the political climate is, no matter who is in the White House, no matter what political party they are, no matter what happens a week from this next Tuesday, no matter what is happening in your life right now, God is always faithful to his people. You can rest. One of the greatest applications for today's sermon is that everyone in the room would take a great big breath and chillax. (laughs) Have a Sunday afternoon nap knowing this. God is always faithful to his people. What are you going through right now? What are you walking through right now? What heaviness is in your heart right now? What lion is attacking your life right now? What is going on in your world that causes you to tremble with fear? What makes you not want to get out of bed in the morning? What keeps you from resting at sleep at night? What's going on in your life right now? Well, I pray this is what will go on in your life right now. That by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, no matter what you face today, no matter what you brought into this room, no matter what the headlines are tomorrow, no matter what the government 
government leaders of our world do, no matter what's decided by your boss, your spouse, your children, or even you, that your heart would beat fast when you think this. My God is faithful. He's always faithful. He's faithful right now. He'll be faithful to the end. Our God is always faithful to his people. Are you his person? Then he's faithful to you. He's being faithful to you right now. And that should be bedrock under our feet as we live in unstable times. God is always faithful to his people. And if you want to enjoy the faithfulness of God, if you want the blessing that comes from living in fellowship with a faithful God, then listen to the point that we saw reinforced. Live faithfully before God. That's the point. God is always faithful to his people and he blesses those who live faithfully to him. And so here's what I want us to do. I'm going to spend just the the next few moments that we have together looking at this chapter. And I know what you're wondering. Are you really like going to go all the way back through the chapter, bro? Kind of. Three things we find from this chapter that Daniel teaches us, his life being an example of faithfulness, shares about what it looks like to live faithfully before the Lord. Here's number one. Living faithful to God means honoring him in all we do. Daniel lived with God-honoring integrity in every single area of his life. We started by looking in verses one through three that an excellent spirit was found in him. He had a spirit of excellence. That means he did what was right because it was right. No matter how corrupt, no matter how unstable his government leaders or his co-workers were, no matter what the people around him were doing, when the most powerful people in the kingdom of, of Persia launched an investigation into his life, they could not find any fault. He didn't steal paper clips from the Persian government offices He didn't cheat on his Persian taxes. When they looked on his search history of his computer, it was completely clean. Even more, he expressly worked for the glory of God. I want you to think about a phrase that King Darius mentions twice. In verse 16, he says this. May your God... Now, notice this phrase. Because this is a person who worked with Daniel every single day. Some scholars say this was the third year of his reign, meaning for three years he's been watching Daniel day in and day out. He says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Then he says the same thing in verse 20. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? There was something Darius Knew to be true because he watched Daniel's life day in, day out, year in, year out. Here's what the king knew. Daniel serves the Lord in everything he does. You know what that means? That means Daniel's work was worship. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that's our call too. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do... Do all 
to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, your serving the Lord Christ. Living faithfully before the Lord means honoring him in all that we do. Let me just ask you this, employees, employees, that means you're a person who has a job, by the way, employees, if that's you, how are you doing your work? When you go to your job, is it as though you're doing your job to the glory of God? Students, how, how are you doing your work? Is it as though you're doing that work to the glory of God? Volunteers, how are you doing your work? Is it as though you're doing it for the glory of God? Can I encourage all of us to take a fresh look at everything we do? No matter what it is, no matter what it is, unless it is sin, it can be an act of worship. And I've got to tell you, I am the, I'm far from the best example of this. I am not a perfect example, but I have told you before that this concept dramatically changed my approach to life. Once I realized that anything I do that is not sin is an act of worship or an opportunity for worship. It changed the way that I wanted to approach everything in my life. A couple of weeks ago, I was making the bed. Yes, miracles do happen. I was making the bed there, and as I was making the bed in the morning, I was thinking about the day, and I was praying while I I made the bed, praying for my kids, praying for my wife, praying for circumstances in some of your lives. And as I was making the bed and praying, it occurred to me that the Lord was honored in the way that I was working. And then I started thinking, the Lord is honored by anything that I do for the glory of his name and even in making this bed. So, so as I was making the bed, I started making the bed to the best of my ability as though the Lord himself, as if Jesus was going to get in that bed that night. And you had better believe I straightened those sheets and pulled everything nice and tight, fluffed the pillows, made sure both sides of the bedspread were nice and even, walked around, did that like, is this even? Got those stripes lined up on the sides. I may have obsessive compulsive, I'm just now realizing it as I say it out loud. I looked, why? Not not because I'm great, not because I'm great at making the bed, but because the truth of this concept occurred to me by the Spirit, no matter what you do. And that gives great significance to you, no matter what you do. Because God is honored as we seek to glorify Him, your whole life, everything you do, is a potential act of worship to your King. And I just want to ask, what would it change today? If you did whatever you'll do as an act of worship to God, I'm not going to watch the Cleveland Browns today because they play tomorrow. (laughs) But when I do, I pray it's to the glory of God, no matter how bad the bludgeoning is. What if somebody launched an investigation in your life? Would they conclude... Would they conclude that your work is done with a kind of excellence excellence that honors the Lord and the only way they could get anything over on you was to connect it with your devotion to your God? Living faithful to God means honoring him in all that we do, big and small. Number two, living faithfully to God means living as though God is all we need. 
The decree that the king signed is intended to make people live as though the king was the one person that everyone in the kingdom needed to get anything done. You couldn't do anything without asking the king. But Daniel knows better, right? He knows God is the only person we need to get anything done. So he prayed. And that's a primary element to prayer. It's asking God to do what only God can do. So every day, three times a day, he got down on his knees in prayer because he believed he needed God. So he asked God to do what only God can do. And let me just ask you this. Do you live like you need God to get anything and everything done? Are you living like the fate of our nation rests in the work of our God? Or are you living like the fate of our nation rests in the work of who gets elected? I can tell you how you'll know your prayers will show your answer. Are you living like the well-being of your family rests in the work of God? Or are you living like the well-being of your family rests in you? You want to know how you'll know your prayers will show the answer. Are you living like the salvation of your friends, your neighbors, your ones rests in the gracious work of God? Or are you living like their salvation rests in you? I'll tell you how you'll know your prayers will give you the answer. If your enemies were trying to take you down, would it ever dawn on them that the best strategy they could have to bring your life to a halt was to outlaw prayer? Friend, the reality is this. Most of us do not pray fervently and regularly. And it's not because it's against the law. It's actually because it's against our deepest beliefs. And you say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Our lives are bearing witness that deep in our hearts, we are living as though we don't really need God. So we don't need to pray. Guys, we, we need the powerful work of God. It all depends on him. Every breath we draw is by his grace. So we, we need God. Does your life reveal, what would it look like if you began to pray in a way that was saying, I need the power of God or nothing in my life worth any eternal significance is actually going to be done. Living faithfully to God means living as though God is all we need. And that starts with prayer. And here's the last thing. Living faithful to God means trusting that he's always being faithful to us. Now, I take this not only from this chapter, but if you're kind of tracking along with the the summary of Daniel, you'll find out that this chapter is the last It's the last chapter that's a narrative part of the book of Daniel. Next week, we're going to start into the prophetic part of the book. And so this last chapter of the story, in a sense, of Daniel is a summary of sorts of his life. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning. And so I take this this phrase that he's trusting God to be faithful, not just from what he's doing in this chapter, but from what you never find him doing in this book. You don't find him complaining or rebelling or doubting or flipping out or freaking out. He's not, he's not crazy with anxiety at any moment of the book. When he's taken from his home in Jerusalem like he was in chapter 1, when he's pressured as a teenager to adopt the pagan practices like he was in chapter 1, or even when he's thrown into the pit with the lions at 90 years old in chapter 6, he simply lives 
day in and day out, no matter what, like he believes that God is always being faithful to his people because God is always being faithful to his people, which means even when you get thrown into the pit and when you walk through the fire and when you lose your home and when you lose your job and when you lose your life, God is always faithful. You see, just because God spared Daniel doesn't mean that God will always spare our lives. As a matter of fact, I want us to see in Hebrews chapter 11 that we have other stories of people who lived by faith in the faithfulness of God. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says about this hall of faithful people who lived with belief in the faithfulness of God. Hebrews 11.35 says this, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect here's what he says God's promised something better than a long life on this earth which means no matter what no matter what occurs in this life whether you're spared from death or you'll have to walk through it whether you're healed or you'll have to die God is being faithful in that He eternally blesses those who trust in his faithfulness. So I don't pretend to promise that you'll be rescued from the pit before you die. I don't pretend to promise that the lions that are threatening your life won't wreak some form of destruction or pain before they go. What I will say is this. That even in that, when your prayers aren't answered, when your hopes and your dreams may not come true, no matter what, God is being faithful and has something better for you. It's called an eternity of joy and pleasure at his right hand. It's a work that no matter how much the pain of this life results in circumstances you wouldn't choose will culminate ultimately with your great joy and pleasure. Here's what that means. You'll get to the end of your life no matter how hard your life was, no matter how short your life was, no matter how painful your life was, and you will have an eternity of joy and pleasure. That means this. You will turn around and look at the journey that brought you home to heaven and you'll say, God did it right. He was being faithful in my life. And I want to just close with one last thing before we go. Because as we talk about these three ways to live faithfully before God, and as we talk about God blessing those who live faithfully before him, we need to know that the story of Daniel isn't just an example for how we live faithfully. It's actually a picture that God was gracious to send us someone who is better than Daniel. Because Daniel's not the perfect example 
Jesus is. 600 years after this story took place, Jesus Christ, the only perfectly faithful man to ever live because he's the son of God, came to this earth. And like Daniel, I hope you noticed, he was falsely accused. Like Daniel, he was sentenced to death by the king. Like Daniel, he was put into a place of death and a stone was put in place to keep him in. Like Daniel, he emerged from that tomb alive and well. And like the end of chapter 6, Jesus sent a declaration to the entire world that God has provided salvation to all who will trust in him through the work of Jesus. But unlike Daniel, Jesus did all of that for us. You see, if... If your blessing depends on your faithfulness, you're out of luck, bro, because you've already blown it. We say living faithfully before God brings great blessing. None of us have lived faithfully completely before God. What hope do we have of leaving this room thinking that somehow our lives will be perfectly spotless and clean? What hope? Can I tell you the hope? Can I tell you the hope? He's got a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus came to live faithfully in our place so that he could provide for a forgiveness of our unfaithfulness. And he rose again. He emerged from that tomb with victorious life, not just as an example, but as an expression of his willingness to raise us up to a life as well. So as you hear about God blessing faithfulness and you say, I want to live faithfully, In every area of my life, and every detail of my life, the wrong way to do it is to walk out of here, roll up your sleeves, and work really hard. That's why you need Jesus. And you don't just need Jesus, you have him. When you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you depend on his power and not yours, when you depend on his faithfulness and not yours, when you depend on Jesus to be the perfect Daniel in you, and Jesus will be Jesus in you. The Bible says he will open up the door of blessing and you will be blessed in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing because of Christ and you will be raised up to live a brand new kind of life. And so the point of chapter six is not that you would work hard to be faithful. It's that you would trust in Jesus to be Jesus in you and enjoy the blessings of the faithfulness of Christ as you walk into this world knowing your God will always be faithful to you. Would you bow your heads and let's make our prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this story that we have heard so many times before. I want to thank you for the beautiful example we get of what it is to be kingdom people who live faithfully in the fallen, sinful world in which we live. Most of all, I want to thank you, Father, that you sent someone better than Daniel to do for us what we've failed to do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that our hearts would step into faithfulness depending on the power of Christ in us. Stir our hearts to live with integrity day in and day out. Not by our own power, but by Christ's. Cause us to be committed to prayer. To be men and women who pray fervently, passionately, persistently. Father, I pray that You would cause us to believe that you're always being faithful to us no matter what. 
And that we would view the events of our lives through the lens of your faithfulness, claiming the promise that should it bring pain and suffering and loss, you will do it right and you have a better thing for us. So God, we thank you for Jesus. We ask that you would cause us to live by faith and confidence in the goodness of our Lord. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name.